0: Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking. Another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there. But if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. what's up everyone this is the big one six episode 16 of r6 mma talk the fight after the fight me your fucking boy noah petrie we're gonna be going over bellator 284 and ufc cheeto versus i was about to say cheeto versus vera which makes no sense at all but cheeto versus Cruz, which had an unfortunate ending to some were a happy ending to others um i was gonna make a massage parlor joke but we're gonna skip that I am a little bit off of pre-workout right now, so I am jacked, ready to go. And uh, we're going to be jumping into the fights. We're going to be going over next... this. I always think of next week's because I'm recording it before the weekend. But we're going to be going over this week's fight card, which is UFC 278 Usman against Edwards numero dos. And, of course, all the juicy mma news slash drama that's been going down this past week so let's not hesitate let's jump right into it so we have austin vanderford against aaron jeffries i'm starting off with Belzer 284 of course and this fight was just white america's finest bro white america's finest two of the whitest dudes out there just throwing down going at it so uh, both men are wrestlers, um, Austin Vanderford being an American wrestler, Aaron Jeffries being from Canada, which the Canada wrestling program is not as prestigious as America's, but he's still a fairly good wrestler in his own rights. So even though this fight was still fairly short, Aaron Jeffries did a tremendous job not letting Austin Vanderford dictate the pace. So just putting that pace on him and never giving Austin Vanderford a good opportunity to do any offense of his own or shoot for a takedown austin is his striking is not the best but he utilizes it to a degree in order to go for the takedown Jeffries did a good job negating that Jeffries dropped him with a right hand then again to a clinch right after eventually um jeffrey's hit him with another right hand again and was able to put Vaniford away and dude this is just unfortunate man because vannaford is now in the two fight losing skid maybe his wife is rubbing off on him that was a bad joke but he's on a two-fight losing skin. This sucks. Because you have someone who had so much potential. And a lot of people were thinking he was going to beat. Be the one to beat um, the champion. And he he just had an unfortunate loss there. And he had an unfortunate loss now. And against someone who's not even ranked in Aaron Jeffries. But then again, when it comes to rankings in Bellator. No one really cares. There's really not much of a a big in-depth roster that they have there. So... Man, it just sucks to see, and hopefully he's able to to bounce back. Then we have Gracie against Yamauchi, and I figured this would be a striking match because typically when you have two grapplers or two wrestlers going at it, the wrestling and grappling tends to cancel itself out and becomes a sloppy kickboxing match, even though I I thought this fight would have been more entertaining if it became a grappling match. as both men are two high-level grapplers. It would have been, you know... Fun to see them exchanging in that regard. But it, it, there really wasn't much action going on in that first round. Yamuchi, of course, won the first round because he dropped Gracie. In the second round, Yamauchi kind of did the thing that's like the overly macho, masculine thing. Where it's like you're just t- having your hands down, just taking punishment for no reason. Um, Rod Tang in and, and 1FC is known for doing that i always think that's incredibly dumb to be entirely honest with you for the fact that you're literally taking punishment for no reason you're taking damage for no reason and as we've seen a couple viral videos where people do that and get knocked the fuck out but this wasn't the case so um gracie was just hanging with some few punches then yamauchi was able to land a left uppercut who just knocked gracie right out and won the fight and the unfortunate truth is that, dude, a Gracie will never be a world champion ever again. I don't think for any organization, any major organization. Maybe in uh, regional MMA, but when it comes to UFC, Bellator, one championship or Ryzen, I don't think we'll ever see a Gracie, a Gracie as a champion again. And the reason for that is because they solely focus on BJJ because that's their bread and butter. is what they're known for. So they have to be elite in it, in that circle. They have to be elite in that particular sport because they're known for being elite in that sport. So they don't necessarily focus too much on striking and or wrestling when they come into MMA. When it comes into MMA, that's when they start to focus on that stuff. But by that time, it's already too late, man. Especially in this day and age, you have to be well-rounded coming into the game. You can't just rely on one facet and expect to to, to you know reach the highest potentials of the sport. Now. If you had to just be proficient in one particular area, it would be wrestling. We see people like Khabib, like Islam, who have such high-level wrestling, and they cut, and Kamaru Usman, and they kind of iron out the kinks as they further develop in their career. But with BJJ, you just can't do that anymore. You're just not going to reach the highest levels like that anymore. Just having BJJ as that one background of coming to MMA. And that's why I think that a, we'll never see a Gracie as champion ever again. It's kind of like the curse of, uh, curse of hoist. But I want to get into the UFC card, Cheeto versus Cruz. And first up, we have Silva vs. And honestly, uh, Silva just didn't look good, man. And there was a couple fighters on the card who just didn't look good, who just didn't really look like themselves, or who just gassed out a little bit. And I was uh, and I was wondering about this and the, some of the, the some of the commentators were talking about the humidity aspect of it I thought I, I didn't know San Diego has that kind of humidity I'm not exactly sure I have to look that one up I checked the elevation the elevation has nothing to do with anything it's only 65 feet above sea level so they're basically at sea level Um So, it's just, maybe the humidity played an aspect of it. Maybe because it was in the arena and kind of an adrenaline jump, dump in in those aspects. But, I'm not sure, man. There was a couple fighters in the card who just didn't look that good. And Silva being one of them. We saw Silva against Pereira. He put a hell of a performance against Pereira, man. He, he, He really pushed Pereira. And in the striking department, too. Which is Pereira's specialty, where he just put and do his lights out. And, dude, he was eating punishment from Pereira in that fight who is known to be, you know, a big hitter, and he gets put away by Merchard, so it was kind of the irony in that regard. But Silva was just constantly putting pressure on Merchard, just having him on the back foot, but he just seemed a step or two behind. He just seemed a little bit out of range of his striking. And Marshar did a very good job going to the body with leg kicks, utilizing that left jab, circling out of the, the cage when he uh, had his back against the cage, Mershar did very good, he utilized very good head movement, which I'm a sucker for head movement to be honest with you. If, if you're listening to the podcast, you know this. I love good head movement. Mershar would utilize very good head movement every time Silva would try to press him up against the cage. And he utilized the head movement and circle out and go into the middle again. Which, he he didn't utilize any counter striking at all with the head movement, but circ- utilizing it to circle out the cage and go right into the middle again, it's a very good game plan regardless of the fact so he did a very good job utilizing the leg kicks utilizing the head movement utilizing that jab eventually he at the very end of the the third round he rocks Silva and instead of getting the TKO finish he gets a submission finish which Mercer has such a has such a good ground game that it's excusable but in most cases in this situation, I would like the fires to try to get the TKO finish. Because if you hurt your opponent and you try to jump into a submission finish and you don't get the submission, then your opponent is just... They're going to be able to recover. I and mean, you just wasted that energy where you could have tried to get the TKO finish. We've seen this with Ortega against uh, Volkmanowski, which I think that was a smart move for Ortega in that instance. We've seen this against Glover and your Hoska, which didn't end well for Glover at the end. So... It's excusable for Mershar because his ground game is so good, but I think for everyone else, he, you should try to get the CKO finish in these kind of situations. But he looked good, man. this could, this might have been the best performance of his career to be honest with you. Then we have Lepizsky against Cochta and I actually dated a girl who looked just like Lepizky, literally just like her. She wasn't Brazilian, she was Mexican. and actually the, the guy she dated after me got married she married him. And I'm still in the dating game, so shout out to her. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, just, it looks exactly like her. But here's the thing: Lepiski has such a good ground game. She's famous for that that knee bar she got over her opponent, where she was literally hyping, standing the knee, which looked fucking gruesome. So even though her she's you know she came up on Muay Thai, but her ground game is still very good. And before I even get into the fight, this one thing that I've noticed. Typically, when we see women fighters who hit hard, who are known as heavy hitters for their heavy hands, they tend to be Brazilian. I've noticed that across the board. Amanda Nunes, Cyborg, Marina Rodriguez, Priscilla Cochera, the list just goes on. They typically tend to be Brazilian. And one thing that I do know is that all in all um the one of the regions that have the highest um, muscle mass as far as body types go is actually brazil for men and for women they tend to have higher um muscle masses than a lot of other regions so maybe that's a contributing factor to it that i don't know um just an interesting fun fact there but she got into a firefight with with koshera she got rocked, she got into a firefight, she should have utilized a grappling once she got rocked. Instead, you know, she just was just throwing down cautions to the wind and unfortunately got finished. So, I would have liked to see her try to grapple in that situation when she's rocked and when she's hurt. To buy her more time, especially because her grappling is so good, but... That's just how the uh, the fight played out. But I don't think, I think Lepiski was, she, the last time she fought was a year and a half, two years ago. So it, it could have been Ring rust playing a factor in that as well. And then we have Clark against Murskinov. Murskinov. was is currently now 12-0, but before the fight he was 11-0. Um, he's the real deal, man. He is absolutely the real deal. And Clark is a very good fighter. For someone so big, because he's fucking massive, for someone so big to have such good kick dexterity is pretty rare. It's really, really rare. His, his fucking legs are huge, dude. His thighs are huge. His calves are huge. So getting kicked by him is no joke. Which, in that first round, he rocks Merskinov with a left high kick. Clearly win that round. The second round was a completely different story, though. Merskinov was constantly putting that pressure on him, putting the pace on him having him against the the cage, not letting him you know circle out of it in any type of way. And Murskinov was kind of loading up on the left hand just a little bit too much. He was throwing a lot of left straights or just going with the left hand to the body. That was kind of his attack over and over and over again. I think, you know, Clark could have did a better job reading on that or his team could have did a good job reading on that or timing that just a little bit better. But... When eventually he rocks Merkinoff, I mean, when Merskinoff rocks Clark, Clark kind of turned away and ran a little bit, which and when you get rocked, that's not the best that's not the best game plan you should be doing. one, of course, it doesn't look good, but most importantly, you're giving your opponent your back, which that's exactly what happened. Merkinnov got his back, went into a little wrestling exchange eventually, um Mirskinov Decided not to grapple and just continue striking which was the right move and was patiently was patiently waiting to throw another left hand but Yeah, just dude just giving your opponent your back and just running away Is just not a smart game plan and he did it twice in the fight, too So in that last round he gets hit with a body shot that drops him turns his back Murson was able to get on top of him and get the TKO finish so Merskinov is definitely the real deal. There's one thing that was a little odd to me in the fight was that when Clark got dropped that second time, Merskinov was on top. Clark's dad is in his corner and he's just yelling to get up, like get him off of you, get him off, and you get up. That's not for some people. It's helping, I guess, in a motivational sense. But at this, at that moment, the Clark needs to be hearing his coaches. Giving him guidance. Giving him advice to get out of this bad situation. I don't think necessarily Clark needs to hear that he needs to get his opponent off of him. He knows he needs to get Merskov off of him. Like he knows that. He's getting fucking pummeled. You know you're supposed to get your opponent off of you. So in that instance, I would have personally liked advice or guidance. And not just someone yelling me instructions that I know what to do already. Then again, it's case by case. Because maybe that's what he needs at that certain point And... I'm not sure. I'm just saying in my instance or a lot of other fighters' instances that maybe it's better to hear the coaches in that aspect. I'm surprised no one picked up on it or commented at all, but that's uh, something that I just noticed. Then we have in against Uruguay, which I'm thinking I'm pronouncing that right. But dude, the fact that these ladies are 20 and 23 years old is shocking. Their games are so polished. They have very polished games. And they're so fucking young. They're definitely going to be the future of the division. Definitely at yeah, one day, they're going to be ranked. I don't know if they're going to fight for a title or not, but I'm sure they're going to be, you know, highly ranked in that division, coming soon or eventually. But either way, dude, they're so fucking young, which kind of shocked me. And it was Jurigway's, um <laughs> it was Juguay's, uh, I'm blaking out on it there. It was her debut. It was her debut, her UFC debut on the main card, one fight away from the the co-main event. Dude, fucking incredible, fucking shocking. Um, The the broadcast had me dying the entire night because they were saying how rare it is for your debut to be on the main card. Bisman said that his debut happened on the pay-per-view main card um and he shot out he's like thank you dana for that dc was like yeah you better thank dana dana because it was me i would have had your ass in the prelims i was fucking crying the whole night them two had me dying the entire night they're a great duel they should have them commentate together more often because it's they're fucking hilarious together but this fight was amazing this fight was back and forth is one of those fights that as a judge it sucks to judge being a judge in this moment sucks because that fight was so close, I do think that Jerguey did overall the better work. I think I think numerically she landed the better. Uh, I think numerically she landed more. I do think she landed the better strikes. I think Lucinda she landed the heavier strikes in that regard. But all in all, Jerguey did the better work. She does need to work on going in and out a little bit better in regards to her blitzing and her striking. Because when she goes to throws combinations, she exits out just a little bit too late. And she just a times where she did get tagged. So maybe she should work on that a little bit more. But what, she's only 20 years old. So she has all the time in the world to work on this stuff. But all in all, to be 20 and for Lucino to be 23 and have your game so polished. Dude, that's, it's, 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 it's shocking. Now we have to see how Jurguet's wrestling is and her grappling game. But so far, striking-wise, her striking is very, very good. And she rocks that in that third round. So all in all, I think she did the, the better work. Most judges' scorecards was 29-28. One judge gave her 30-27, which at first I was watching it and I'm drunk the first time watching it around. So I'm like, oh, how can a judge do that? But after watching it a second time, I can kind of see how the judge um, came down to that scorecard. Now we have Landwehr against Onama. And this fight was just pure chaos, bro. This fight was just pure chaos. This was just for the fans. This is a fans delight. This is the casual delight. That's what I'm gonna call these fights now. These fights where it's just reckless embodiment and just, you know, the, the birth creation of CTE for both fighters, like those type of fights where it's just throwing caution to the wind and who has the bigger balls. I'm just gonna say the they're, they're the casual delight. And that's exactly what this fight was. It was a casual delight. At first, um, Onama rocks Landwer. I think that's how you're pronouncing it. I'm pretty sure that's German, but whatever. Um, Onama rocks him, which some some referees would have stopped the fight right there because Landwer just falls straight down. Just it seems like he was completely out. Then once he hit the canvas. That's what kind of woke him back up out of his uh out of the knockout. It seems like that's what occurred in that aspect. But Lander was able to recover right away, and it just seems like Onama just had an adrenaline jump adrenaline dump in that moment. Maybe it was being on on, uh, on the 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 co main event, and all the fans being there and everything being so hyped up and coming off of a fight right after one that was, you know, fucking incredible or it maybe just a number of these different things or just some of the commentators talking about humidity. Maybe that was an aspect of it, but it just seemed like he kind of had an adrenaline dump there because after that, dude, he just looked gassed out. He looked gassed out for the remaining of the fight, which, dude, to be exhausted and to still never give up and Kraus, his coach, asked him in this corner, that second round, like, bro, do you want to give up? Do you want to give up? Do you want him to give up? There were times he wasn't given a response, but he was like, "Nah, I'm not going to give up. He went he went out there in that third round. And he did a fucking, he, he gave a good third round, man. He gave a very good third round. And to give it your all and to still be that exhausted, nothing but respect to that guy. But Landon was able to recover in that first round and really starting to, to put it on him. In the second round, he w- uh, Onama just looked gassed still. And Landward did a very good job just constantly wrestling him. Just making Onama work. Making him work. Making him work. Making him work. Now, this fight was closer than it should have been. In that Landward was... Cu- he, cu- he definitely... I was going to say kind of. He definitely just let the crowd and let the moment just... Eat into him just a little bit too much. Just a little bit too much. In that there was multiple times where he had Onama rocked. Where he could have finished the fight. Where he could have get the TKO finish. And he would just go to grappling. Or even worse, let him recover. Just get up, try to hype up the crowd and do all that other showman shit. And just let Onama recover. In that third round, he did it in the third round, especially I think two, three times. And one of them, Onama just came out and was throwing fucking bombs at him and rocked him. So it, that could have turned, that could have turned sour, very, very bad. That could have, you know, went in the wrong direction very fast. So I do think he should improve on that. He did do that in his last fight as well too, which he was trying to, you know, give a performance, give a show when it was in the apex and no one was watching. So. I do think he needs to work on that. He definitely needs to work on that and to not get carried away in the middle of these fights. This fight was closer than it should have been. He could have got the TKO finish if he really wanted to. If he would have applied that pressure, he would have applied that pressure better. But he just let himself get carried away into the fight, man. A little bit too much. But I do think that the, the right man won at the very end. And now we have Cheeto against Cruz. And I'm gonna be honest with you, bro. I want Cruz to win this one. I'm a huge fan of Cruz. Always been, ha- always have been a huge fan of Cruz. If you're listening to this podcast long enough, you do know that I don't really don't like Cheeto, so I'm, I'm kind of always rooting for him to lose. Which is rare. It's rare when I don't like a fighter. It's really rare when I don't like a fighter and I'm rooting for someone to lose. Extremely, extremely rare. To be honest with you, there's only two fighters I feel that way with. One's Conor. One's Cheeto. And. I, I thought Cruz was going to win this fight. I know it was going to be an uphill battle, but I thought he can win it from just his fight IQ, his experience being in the octagon, fighting the best of the best, and his footwork and his movement. Because we do see that Cheeto tends to get outstruck numerically and tends to get tagged a lot. So I thought if Cruz would do a very good job just utilizing his awkward movement and giving awkward reads and... You know, being in and out, in and out, in and out, and utilizing his grappling just a little bit more because we've seen that Cheeto has a weakness in the grappling department. That he can win this fight, that he can grind out a decision victory. I knew it was going to be an uphill battle, but I thought that Cruz could pull it off, and that he was pulling it off. He was up on all the judges, all the judges' scorecards. He was winning the fight up until he wasn't, which has just been the story of Cheeto so far. Um, Cheeto in his last three fights. Frankie Egger, Rob Font, and Dominic Cruz, he would be, well, for the exception of Rob Font, but in a Cruz fight and in a Frankie fight, he would just be losing on the scorecards. Frankie was out wrestling on the first two rounds and in that third round. If that fight would have went to decision, Frankie would have won, but Cheeto got the, the knockout victory. In the Font fight, he was getting outstruck numerically by a very wide margin, and he waited to get that, that perfect counter-strike and would knock Font down and would win the round just because he knocked someone down. And in the Cruz fight, he would get outstruck numerically. And then would land a knockdown and would win the round. Now, the first round, I had it going to Cruz. Even though Cruz got knocked down, he he outstruck his opponent numerically and got the takedown at the end. The second round, I also gave it to Cruz. I think Cruz did overall better work. The third round is when Cheeto started to get into the groove a little bit. Cheeto tends to to lose that first, that second round and starts to get into the groove a little bit. Um which in a five round fight you can't be doing that. It's a very bad habit that he has there. But he started to apply pressure just a little bit more. He doesn't really throw. That's his thing. He doesn't throw. He waits for that perfect strike, which is also very bad. Because if you don't land that perfect strike, or you fight someone who has a very good chin, look at who he TKO'd recently. He TKO'd Frankie Yeager, who is old. Let's just be clear here. Rob Font, who's chinny. And Dominic Crew, who's old. So we haven't seen him TKO the best of the, or even fight the best of the best of the division. We haven't seen him fight Jan, or Sterling, or Dillashaw, or Corey Sanhagen, or Yadong. We haven't seen him fight any of those guys yet. He just fight old, old washed guys, or in, in the case of Font, who's coming off of two losses. So we haven't seen him fight the best of the best yet, to be entirely honest with you. We've seen him fight Aldo when Aldo schooled him. Which he would got annoyed that Aldo was out-wrestling him and, and out-grappling him in that regard. Which, that's on you to stuff those takedowns and get out of the clinch. But that's besides the point. That's besides the point. So, we, we haven't seen him TKO or compete against the best of the best in that division yet. So, this style of just getting struck outstruck numerically and relying on that power... In every instance, that's going to prove to be your downfall, bro. You have to throw more. All around, you have to throw more. You can't just wait for the perfect strike, which is what he tends to do. Which, in the last three fights, it worked out in his favor. But, against the top of the division, that's not going to fly. So, in the end, uh, Cheeto Vera got the TKO victory. Definitely broke Cruz's nose. That shit was crooked as ever-loving fuck. And what's next for Cheeto? I don't know. Cause you have O'Malley on, you have Corey Saint Hagen is I think definitely Cheeto should fight either. They're not gonna give him Aldo, and Aldo's fighting. Um, God, I can't pronounce that dude's name. (sighs) Varshlevy, I can't pronounce his name, but that's a very good fight as well. Um, I think Cheeto should fight either the winner of. No, I don't think he should fight the winner of Aldo and Yarosleevy. I think Cheeto should fight the winner of Jan and O'Malley or Corey saint Higgins and Yadon. One or the other. If they want to fast track Cito to t- Cheeto to a title shot, you give him the winner of Jan and O'Malley. If they wanna see how he competes against the best of the division, then you give him Corey saint Higgins and Yadon. But well let's let's see how Cheeto performs against the top of the top of the division. I'm not on a Cheeto train right now. I'm not. going gonna, gonna to be honest with you. I think he's overrated. I think he's very overrated. I think Aldo proved it. But let's see how he performs because top of the division. I'm just being a hater right now, to be honest with you. I have to be honest. But <laughs> well, we have MMA news slash drama. So Dana White said in an interview recently, I think with GQ, that fires are paid where they're supposed to be paid. And I know how annoying it must be. Being an MMA fan, just constantly having the discussion be about fighter pay in these recent years. Which is good for the fighters because it's showing light in how the UFC is not paying their fighters anything, to be honest with you. But um, here's the thing. Here's why I want to talk about this topic, right? One, Dana is not even trying to defend it anymore. Cause at first, when the, when you know fighter pay first became an issue and people were first starting to talk about fighter pay, Dana White was arguing too for nail, bro. He was throwing hands with anyone who was who would dare to you know, talk about fighter pay. But nowadays, Dana doesn't even argue it anymore. He just says, "This is what we pay." Make he, this is his three his three rebuttals to this argument. One, this is what we pay, which okay, that <laughs> well, all right. What else do we do with that? He says, "This is what we pay." two make your own fight promotion you pay them what you like uh, i guess you're the biggest fight promotion in town and you're not paying your fighters so what what hope does a smaller promotion have to do with pay what hope does a smaller promotion have to effectively pay the fighters but okay and three we, we pay them where they're supposed to get paid which is the worst out of the three because apparently you're you don't pay them where they're supposed to be paid because they're underpaid and here's a sad thing right and I saw this on Twitter and I commented on Twitter and I got a bunch of retweets and a bunch of likes. And not to toot my own horn, I'm saying literally the most generic thing out there. But I said that it's crazy in that the MMA community, it's crazy how so many people in the MMA community are just brainwashed. And they're, they just are okay. They're literally blatantly okay with the fighters being underpaid even when there's so much evidence that supports the UFC not paying their fighters and they're just ignoring it. Literally just ignoring it. And the reason why I say that is because I see so many comments and so many tweets and of just fight fans saying, oh, the, you know, the UFC pays them just fine or we can't be like boxing overpaying these fighters. Or if they don't like it, they can go to another promotion. Which, they clearly don't know how MMA contracts are. Or how UFC contracts are. Because those things are... It's basically, if you don't get cut, it's almost impossible to get out of them. That's that's how controlling the UFC contracts are. Literally, if you don't get cut, it's impossible for you to get out of that contract. And even if your contract is up, it's so hard for you to go elsewhere the UFC literally has to not want you. They literally have to just be like, yo, I don't give a shit about you in order for you to be out of that contract. With all the stipulations that they have in place, I'm not going to go over all of them. But people saying, oh, you know, if you don't like it, go to another promotion. Or if you don't like it, start your other promotion. Or, you know, the UFC deserves to get paid all the money because they took all the risk. That one's the worst. That one's absolutely the worst. Because really... The ufc took all the risk without the fighters there wouldn't be a ufc without the fighters it wouldn't be an mma so to say that the ufc took all the risk yeah they took all the risk financially which when you look at the risk in regards to finances in regards to health the one that's the worst out of the two is definitely health the fighters are taking the risk health wise any schmuck can take the risk financially The people who made the UFC, I forgot forgot the dude's name. The person who made the UFC was rich before the UFC and was rich after. The Vertito brothers were rich before the UFC and was rich after. Dana White, never he doesn't own the UFC. He was just president. He was overlooking the UFC and got rich from it. And he'll be rich after it if he ever decides to retire. So the, the people who are taking the risk, the real risk are the fighters who are putting their health and safety on the line every single fight and every single training camp to get literally nothing in return afterwards once the, once a fight career is over which every other major sporting promote, sporting uh, entity has like you know after fight, after the players retire and they get you know um money from it and wherever the case may be which does not exist in MMA and I don't think it ever will exist in MMA so it's just a blatant disregard of the fighter or pay issue with a lot of the community which is fucking crazy cause there's so much evidence that supports this literally so much evidence it's a whole class action lawsuit against the UFC in regards to underpaying their fighters a bunch of other things that are tend, that is pointing to be nefarious but yet people still defend the UFC for some reason it doesn't make any sense it literally doesn't make any sense because there's so much evidence you can find... You can find easily, readily online... alt at in any, you know... MMA outlet. You can easily find all this information. So the fact that you can be so... For the UFC underpaying their fighters... And... I, I just don't understand... You can watch the sport day in, day out... Week in, week out... Month in, month out... And just be like, yo, fuck these dudes. Like, I don't... Like, the UFC should get all the money. Like, fuck these fighters when you're the one who's consuming the product and watching them doesn't make any sense it literally just doesn't make any sense now we have bj penn loses the governor race um, the primary only gets 25% of the hawaiian vote and who <laughs> someone tweeted out that someone was like damn his losing streak just keeps going which was hilarious and sad the exact same time but honestly hawaii dodges a bully in that regard I'm sure that BJ Penn cares greatly about Hawaii because he is a native Hawaiian and he wants to change the island, which I guarantee he does. I guarantee that's genuine. But, dude, the dude clearly has some issues in regards to CTE with all the shit that he's been going through and in and out of trouble lately in these past few years. And on top of that, when you've seen him talk about his campaign and all that other stuff, it just seems like he was talking about it and reading off a script and not really engaging with... Engaging at any of the topics deeply or anything like that. So all in all I the Hawaii dodged a bullet in that regard Then we have Luke Rocco says the UFC gets paid billions and they're just you know giving out these fit the same 50k bonuses They were back when you know in his prime when he was fighting and he's right Listen, the UFC is getting paid billions. The UFC can easily pay more than fifty k for bonuses, but I don't really care for the UFC to pay fifty k for bonuses. I would much rather the UFC just take all that money they're giving bonuses and just give it to the fighters to for their show and win bonus, mostly their show bonus. I would I'd much rather have the show bonus be higher, have the win bonus be added. But I want the show bonus to be higher. I want these fighters to get overall get paid more and not have the stipulation hanging above their heads to have a good performance. So, and of course, some people are going to argue like, oh, if we got rid of it, then maybe fighters wouldn't, you know, perform as well or really go after it as much because there isn't no win bonus or anything like that. But that's all hypothetical. We don't know if that would be the case because we're... I don't. I I just don't see the UFC getting rid of that factor at all. Now we have Michael Bisping thinks that Nick Diaz would be a great comeback fight for Conor McGregor. He didn't say Nate Diaz. He said Nick Diaz. Bro, what are you smoking, man? Live, bro, leave Nick alone. Like the whole leave Britney alone movement. Leave Nick alone. He doesn't want to fight anymore. He doesn't. He said it in the fight week. He literally said it during fight week against Robbie Lawler. Yo, he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do it, man. He just did it for the money. His heart wasn't in it. He's clearly out of his prime. Clearly out of his prime. That's the biggest, you know, tune-up fight of all time for Conor. I I, I think if Conor fight Tony, that's still a tune-up fight, but at least it's more competitive in that aspect. You know, but to fight Nick... Who literally couldn't cut to 170, so they had made to make it 185. Bro, leave that man alone. He is not a good comeback fight for Connor. Leave Nick alone. Dana White says that the GOAT is John Jones over Khabib. So I think, I think it was the same interview with Dana White, the, the GQ one, I believe. And they asked him who the GOAT was and Khabib. And he was like, listen, Khabib retired too early. I think Khabib retired way too early and didn't offend the Bell as much. He said, if it comes to the GOAT, it has to be John Jones. Look at everything he was accomplished in the sport, look at his resume, and I 100% agree. I think, the, and I, I talked this in one of my last episodes, either the last episode or the episode before. In regards to who's the GOAT of MMA, it has to be John Jones. When you look at everything he's accomplished, his record, you know, his title defenses, how dominant he was in his prime and everything else—it just points to John Jones. It doesn't point to Khabib. The only people who think Khabib is the greatest of all time were people who just started watching MMA four or five years ago. But if you were to watch, you know, the entirety of John Jones' career and see him come up, it was the same level of dominance, if not more. So it definitely goes to John Jones by a mile. And if John Jones is able to go to heavyweight and win the belt there, then that just submits that cements his. His, uh, you know, um, his title for the GOAT, for GOAT status. And now we have the Petri Predictions portion of this podcast. And we're going over UFC 278. I'm first going to go with Edwards against Usman. Now, uh, this is the blatant truth. If U- Usman has very f- high fight IQ, if he just wrestles and grapples, he will win. He would easily win. If he strikes, I think he would lose. Even though Usman has a good jab, his striking is still very rudimentary. His striking is very rudimentary. He has power behind that jab, but his combination's overall striking fluidity is still rudimentary and still needs work. So, him striking against Leon Edwards would not be a smart decision. But if he wrestles, I think it will be a clear victory. So that being said, I have my money on Usman. Costa against Rockhold. Here's the, here's the interesting aspect of this, right? It's that Costa I, I mean Rockhold actually he he can win this fight. He really can win this fight. Because his grappling and wrestling is phenomenal. He gives some of the best wrestlers and best grapplers in the world issues. And everyone who trains with him says this. Literally everyone. Everyone who trained with him. An AKA or not non-AKA. They all say the same thing. His wrestling and his grappling is phenomenal. Look at a fight against Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman who's known to be an amazing wrestler. He, he out grappled Weidman. The issue is Luke Rocko fell in love with striking. Which a lot of grapplers a lot of wrestlers tend to do. Which he's good at striking as well. But that's what he tends to lean on a little bit too much. Which... He is chinny. He does have some chin issues. He, he you know, and that tends to. Ha- and of course, he has a huge ego, so he overestimates every single opponent that steps in the octagon with him. And that's what te- that's what leads to him to be knocked out. And that's the issue there. I think if he were to grapple and to wrestle Costa, he would have a very good shot at winning. But it's not going to happen. I guarantee you, Luke is gonna go in there, try a strike with Kassa, and he's gonna get put away because of his ego. Now, maybe these past few years of him not being MMA gave his chin some much-needed rest, but once your chin goes, your chin goes, and I just think that he's gonna go in there with the Luke Rocco ego that we all know, and he's just gonna get laid out. Now we have Aldo against Devolish really. This is an interesting fight. And it can go either way. It, and the uh the odds point to that. Because it's, I think it was like 103 to 112, somewhere around there. So it's dead even. I think Aldo's a favorite by literally a little bit. But honestly, man, <sighs> Dewar really's wrestling is so good. But he does, he does tend to get hit a little bit. He has very he has a very good chin as we can see in the Mariah's fight that he had, but he does tend to get hit just a little bit, and ah, I don't. ah, This one's hard. This one it's up in the air for me. I would say, what am I hoping? I'm kind of hoping for Aldo to win. I would love to see Aldo just get that one last title shot. I want to see Aldo's get one more, bro. Just to, I don't know if he's gonna win it, but I would like to see him just get one more and just and just ride off to the sunset. But uh, uh, this one's hard. This one's tough. This one's up in the air. It's a three round fight, and Aldo. If it was a five round fight, I would not say Aldo because Aldo gases out four or five. Dana White nailed it on the head. He says Aldo is the best fire you ever seen in the first two rounds. After that it starts to go downhill, so. For the fact that it is three rounds, I'm going to give it to Aldo. Just for that fact alone. Because he's going to be fresh those first two rounds. I think he will win one and two. I think he will lose the third. I think he'll, you know, very clearly lose the third. And if it went all five, I think he'll lose. But since it's within three, fuck it. I'm giving it to Aldo. But this is. This is episode 16 of R6 MMA Talk. The fight after the fight with me, Noah Petrie. This drops every single Tuesday at 7 a.m. You guys know this, so you know to expect it. And I'll be talking to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.